0: This is Ozarks at Large for Thursday, April 14th, 2022, on your public radio station, KUAF 91.3 FM. KUAF is a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Thank you
1: so much for being with us. I'm Timothy Dennis. I'm Kyle Kellams. Ahead this hour, Pastor Clinch Neckloth is back with a new recommended book. This one, a novel about living in a war-torn part of Ukraine. And it's a book that was written before Russia's invasion. And what does a judge look for when selecting a
0: canine best of show? We ask in our second half hour. First, today, Veterans Healthcare System of the Ozarks and Fayetteville is among a growing number of VAs across the U.S. implementing a comprehensive whole health initiative. Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich met with two VA whole health providers who explained the new paradigm.
2: The whole health initiative was first deployed starting five years ago at. 36 veteran affairs facilities throughout the country, including Veterans Health Care System of the Ozarks in Fayetteville. The VHSO operates a major medical center and numerous clinics in the tri-state region. Laura Pogue was recently hired as the VA's Whole
3: Health Program Manager. So Whole Health in the VA started about 10 years ago through the Office of Patient-Centered Care and Cultural Transformation. That's what I would consider our parent organization that guides us on on how to implement whole health system of care at each site. The National Veterans Health Administration Office of Patient-Centered
2: Care and Cultural Transformation supports and advances the whole health care initiative to shift primary focus on disease management, equipping veterans to take charge of their health and well-being. Pogue says the Veterans Health Care System of the Ozarks began to incorporate whole health back in
3: 2017. We were starting some whole health education classes for our staff, and we had a lot of veterans coming in. Today, whole health
2: patient-centered care, which is evidence-based, is embedded in the VA's primary social and mental health care system. Veterans, Pogue says, are placed at the center of care rather than their illness or condition. Staff collaborate with veterans to develop personalized health plans based on values, needs, and goals.
3: So no longer are we saying, you got to do this, you got to quit smoking, you got to lose weight. We're talking to veterans on, what do you want your health for? What, what's important to your life? And when, when you have those conversations, then you find out those things, and then from there you develop treatment plans. The veteran has input. The provider has input, so you you consider the veteran the expert on themselves, the provider's the expert on medicine, and you come together, and that's a whole health system of care where it's what's important to the veteran and, and how can we help you live a better life.
2: Pogue says after she came aboard as program manager, three temporary whole health coaches were
3: hired. We're fixing to go up to have five permanent whole health coaches, and we're also going to have a clinical director. We're advertising for that. And then we have a program analyst and a um, program support assistant. So within the last year, we've actually had real whole health physicians.
2: And local veterans at this VA, she says, have led in-person yoga and tai chi classes on campus, which during the pandemic have been virtual Online meditation sessions are also offered, and access to whole health treatments, including chiropractic, therapeutic massage, and acupuncture for pain management are available, covered by VA benefits.
3: And so the massage therapist is probably gonna be in like phase four of our staffing plan. So yeah, these are all coming in. And the idea is that instead of sending veterans out for all these services, that we actually have them here, where it's very veteran-centered care, because that's what we do all the time is take care of veterans. We'd like to keep them here. Eventually, Whole
2: Health will be delivered at Veterans Health Care System of the Ozarks Regional Clinics as part of the new Complementary Integrated Health System.
4: As I say to my colleagues, it's, it's not a new program, it's the new VA. That's Dr. Richard
2: Kyle. He's a board-certified neurosurgeon at the Fayetteville VA and a Whole Health Initiative enthusiast.
4: Within myself, I just keep trying to get better every day uh, at it. And so And that means practicing whole health, uh, mind, body, and spirit. So I think having evolved from starting with the body, you know, trying to do what's most healthy for the body, and then moving to the emotional mind and then the mental mind.
2: Where meditation, for example, can be fruitful in helping to balance the emotions and mental outlook, whole health is not something veterans and staff are required to do or even advocate – Whole Health is simply embedded in the VA's health care system now, he says.
4: When they come in and see the provider, the physician, uh, they always ask, what hurts the most? But now it's like, what matters the most? So we frame the treatment plan around what matters the most to get them to be compliant and to get them to see how they can take charge of their life and health. And that's the key Focus of, of whole health is getting the veteran to take charge of their life and health, and they have they have a lot of, of issues. There's a lot of demons. There's a there's a lot that goes on in war.
2: Unlike civilians, many veterans must reckon with the psychological and physical consequences of engaging in war.
4: Well, I was just going to say one of the new concepts of pain uh, included in the definition of pain is tissue-type injury pain without overt tissue injury. And so the emotional centers of the brain for pain are the same as the physical centers. So we see these people with a normal MRI of the lumbar spine and terrible back pain. And you look in their chart, and they're 100% connected for PTSD. PTSD, or
2: post-traumatic stress disorders, a mental health condition caused by some terrifying event, which whole health practices can help to mitigate...
4: A lot of veterans who lose a limb are pretty well-grounded, and one of the reasons is is because they've had to ask themselves, and this is what providers need to ask. We don't ask it of the veteran. We ask what matters most. But as a provider, we have to ask ourselves, who am I? That's where we should be meditating, is who am I? And then we can sit back and look and see the veteran, how, where they are in their life and what matters to them most.
2: Dr. Kyle now instructs his internal medicine residents at the Fayetteville VA hospital on whole health care
3: approaches. Laura Pogue says VA staff are also in this matrix. So we, we have employee whole health also. I mean it's it's all the same thing, but we have a branch for employees.
4: There's like a rule of thirds at the VA, and that one third of the people are going to be gung-ho. One third are going to be neutral, and one third will be opposed. So, but as we build on that with whole health, like Laura says, you know the the numbers are growing. We do have some numbers on a new program that we did that uh, that's nationwide. Uh, is called ompractice.com, online meditation uh, forward slash veteran. Any veterans listening, they can go to that and register for free. So the, instead of having fifteen dollar classes, it's it's zero, and that's for all VA employees too.
2: That online meditation is available in Veterans Integrated Service Network 16, which encompasses eight VAs in the mid south, including the Veterans Healthcare System of the Ozarks. Dr. Kyle shared a story about a combat veteran who shared with him a whole health insight he experienced in the midst of battle in the Vietnam War.
4: The veteran he came in, and uh, I asked him, I said, "Do you meditate?" And he looked at me and he said, he said, if I can control my breathing, I can control my mind. If I can control my mind, I can control my body. And then I can relax myself. I start with my head, my face, my neck, my shoulders, my arms, my legs, my body, toes. And then I start relaxing myself from the inside out. And at that point I went, whoa, did you write a book? Where did you come up with that? And he said, in a tunnel. And he goes, yes, in Vietnam, in a tunnel. And he had crawled in there, was going down in there, and he heard, he, quote-unquote, I heard the bad guys coming. And he freaked out because he was in a tight spot, his rifle was pointed backwards so he wouldn't get dirt in the barrel, and he couldn't get it around. He was done. And he was, like, hyperventilating, and it just came to him. He got control of his breathing, he got control of his mind. He got control of his body. He relaxed. And by the time they got there, he realized he had a forty five on him. And he was able to tell me the story.
2: The U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs hosts a whole health homepage, which explains the initiative and provides key guidance to veterans, providers, and staff. And the site features a beautifully designed graphic wheel illustrating core elements of whole health, such as power of the mind, spirit, and soul, recharging, moving the body, and personal development and relations. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jacqueline Froelich. The celebrations for the 50th anniversary
1: of the designation of the Buffalo River as a national river are underway. Later this month, there will be a public discussion about the past, present, and future of the river in Gearhart Hall on the University of Arkansas campus. Two of the organizers of the event came to the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio this week to offer a preview. We'll hear that conversation later this month on Ozarks. But one of the guests, Jared Phillips, told us there is a Buffalo National River connected event tomorrow night at the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History on the Fayetteville Square. Briar Center is going to be hosting um, a, a visiting professor, um, who's Professor Jean Dennison from the University of Washington, who is a member of the Osage Nation. And so she's going to be speaking there. Uh, and that is how we're kicking off this whole series of events that's going to be going through December and then digitization of resources. Into the months afterwards, actually going into uh, 2023, we're going to be adding digital assets to the special collections. CAST is a partner that's going to be adding things. But when we started, when we're starting off these conversations, uh, we're very fortunate to have a member of the Osage Nation um, who's Mm -hmm. going to be here, hosted by uh, George Sabo and Sean Tuton. Uh, Um, So we have lots of partners, organizations on campus, but then trying to broaden the conversation as much as possible, too. mm -hmm. We'll hear much more from Jared Phillips and Joshua Youngblood about the Buffalo National River discussion taking place in late April on an upcoming edition of Ozarks at Large. Walton Arts Center's 10x10 Arts
5: Series presents the dance theater company Contra Tiempo's performance of Joy Us, Just Us, Saturday, April 16th. Taking on joy as the ultimate expression of resistance, this performance reclaims the narrative of people of color being voiceless, powerless, and victimized. WaltonArtsCenter.org or 443-5600 443-5600
1: for tickets. This is Ozarks Large. With me in the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio is Pastor Clinch Neckloth, who is lead pastor at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Fayetteville. Welcome back. Super great to be here. It's time for spring books. It is time for spring
6: books, and I wish there was even more time for spring books than it feels like.
1: Yes. Well, I think we are legion, those of us who wish there was always time for more books right. and more reading.
6: Yes, Absolutely. But I've been mindful, especially in my reading, and I do this, I guess, maybe other people do this too. Like if I travel, then I read books that are about that place or whatever. And um, so now with the war in Ukraine, I kind of leaned toward some authors that are like from Ukraine so I could get a better sense of what's going on there and identify with them, I guess. And
1: so this book, The Orphanage, a novel.
6: Yes, yes. Okay, so Serhiy Zadon, it m- might be Zadon, um, is perhaps the uh, premier Ukrainian poet slash novelist. He's like super widely read in Ukraine and um, both as a poet and as a novelist. And he actually also has a rock band apparently, mm-hmm. Zadon and the Dogs. He's the front man for it. Um, But his stuff's been trans—one of the things about Ukrainian literature in general is an issue of translation. So as an example, I was um at—well, go ahead.
1: Well, I was just going to say translation is one of those things that mystifies me. Mm -hmm. How you manage to get, you know, as much nuance from the original language into the translated language Mm -hmm. must Mm -hmm. be a difficult chore.
6: But go ahead. Well, right, so there's that issue of like actually translating mm-hmm. and but then there's also the issue within the American market or the English language market of how do you get a publisher to decide, okay, yeah, we want to publish that translation of something from another country or another culture?" Uh, I was at the World con, um, the world science fiction convention back in December, and one of the speakers at that event was a woman who translates a lot of Russian science fiction into English. And actually has, she also has a lot of connections to Ukraine and talking about, you know, how like there will be these certain authors that get identified as like, these are the Russians that we want to translate into the American market. And then there's all this other stuff, you know, of course she's aware of because she can read Russian and Ukrainian that doesn't get translated. How How does she pitch it? who decides, you know, all that kind of thing. right? Um, So he's one of – he's risen to the top as part of this, you know, community of authors of which – of whom there aren't not that many. You know, how many authors can you name from Ukraine?
1: Uh, Now I can name one. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
6: Um, And in some instances, some of the most popular novelists that we do see on the shelves, especially, say, translated into – uh, English, that are like science fiction novels. Intriguingly, um, even though they're perceived as Russian novelists because they wrote in Russian, they're actually from Ukraine. Exactly. So, because there's this, you know, cultural and overlap. Historical, and historical. Yeah. overlap, yeah. Okay, so Zadan is interesting because he's really, truly, uh, y- you know, Ukrainian. And he's from... Uh, this part of Ukraine that is um, the the Luhansk region, which is uh, has been in our national news and spotlight for years and years because that part of Ukraine has had ongoing you know struggle and strife in other ways right um, so this novel, the Orphanage the basic Architecture of the plot, in as much as there is one, is that the the main character is trying to cross the line between, like, a front between, you know, the um, Russian forces and Ukrainian forces to go to an orphanage to retrieve his nephew Mm. and bring him back to where he is. Uh, That's it. That's, like, the whole I mean, that thing, re- essentially.
1: And that relates to so many stories we've heard over the past few weeks of people trying to get relatives and, and people out.
6: Right. Yeah. Okay, well, that's what's so powerful about this novel. It's, it's, almost, it's almost overwhelming because you get this feel—one, you kind of get this feeling of, of almost— meaninglessness. Like, why is anybody even trying any of these things? You know, the, the, the city he's trying to go into looks empty and has been bombed, and it's treacherous to just even go there where he is right now is also insecure at any point. The, the line could move, mm. you know? right? Um, it's hard to judge even what side the groups of military personnel that you encounter are on, um, and then everybody's experiences in the novel are in some ways very fleeting with each other. Like you'll just have a group of people that are clustered together trying to get from point A to point B without dying. And then they have to move on to their own things. And then you might just get in a taxi and pay somebody to drive you the next step. And that part is also weird, right? Like there's these glimpses of just totally normal in the middle of chaos, chaos, yeah. Which you're also hearing on the news a lot. Exactly, like kids yeah. are still going to school, and right. you know all that kind of thing. Um, and so, the what I what I found really powerful about this novel and why I brought it and recommended is is that like if you w- if you really want to kind of lean into getting a sense of what people are truly going through um, now in Ukraine um this one is of course about uh, is evocative of the pre- some of the previous strife that was further out in eastern ukraine but nevertheless it's the same kinds of issues a lot of the same kinds of military strategy because the russians have been pursuing the same military strategies for you know decades yeah. right and the independence movements that have been going on in the ukraine are um it's more complex than just Russia is evil, Ukraine is good. Of course, the Russian invasion of, the, of Ukraine is just really plain awful. But there were contested spaces and there's these independent movements in eastern Ukraine that Zadan, because he lives there and is aware of them, he kind of helps you understand them as you're encountering them, like the, the complexity of that, which is very helpful.
1: The orphanage, and what is his name? Serhi Zadon
6: is I'm pretty sure how you pronounce his name.
1: Z-H-A-D-A-N. We'll have that listed at OzarksAtLarge.com. And when you come back, you've got more books that have connections to Ukraine and Russia? Yes, I do. All right. Pastor Clint Neckloth is lead pastor at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Fayetteville. Thank you for your time. So glad to be here.
7: Time now for today's Northwest Arkansas Business Journal report. I'm Paul Gatling. Tyson Foods said Tuesday it will invest $1 million in a program to assist immigrant workers Seeking U.S. citizenship. The Tyson Immigration Partnership, working with Arkansas nonprofits Immigrant Connection and Arkansas Immigrant Defense, helps provide employees with legal services necessary to acquire U.S. citizenship. A company official said the program is already available in seven of its facilities, but the funding boost will expand services to 40 facilities in 14 states. Tyson Foods says it is an employer of choice for many immigrants due to its average hourly pay of more than $18 and its benefit plan, which equates to an average annual compensation value of more than $50,000. Tyson Foods says its workforce in the U.S. includes employees from more than 160 countries and they collectively speak more than 50 languages. For this story and others, visit us on the web at nwabusinessjournal.com, where you can follow our reporting each and every day. After the break, we will hear from University of Arkansas economist Mervyn Jebaraj. That's on today's Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report.
8: Support for the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report is provided by The Arkansas State Chamber of Commerce and Associated Industries of Arkansas. The Chamber's mission is to promote a pro-business, free enterprise agenda and prevent legislation, regulation, and rules that hinder business. ArkansasStateChamber.com Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shield. For more than 70 years, Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shield has used its knowledge and compassion to create healthcare solutions for individuals and businesses. More information at ArkansasBlueCross.com. First Security is proud to be only in Arkansas. They offer smart solutions for personal and business banking, plus convenient services and community investment. First Security, member FDIC, equal housing lender.
7: University of Arkansas economist Mervin Jebaraj thinks inflation will be present for a significant period of time, but he does not see a recession in the near term. Jebaraj discussed those two buzzwords in a recent interview with Roby Brock.
9: What we see is, you know, I think we are going to expect, you know, I think maybe a year ago we were talking about inflation being transitory. I think that is no longer the case. This inflation is going to be with us for a while. And yes, we do expect the Federal Reserve to continue to raise rates. You know, there was, they released the minutes of the Federal Reserve meeting, the most recent Federal Reserve meeting, where they increased rates by 0.25. And you saw that there were a lot of Federal Reserve members that wanted to increase the rates by about half instead of a quarter. And so we might expect to see in the next few meetings a bigger bump in rates. So that is coming down the pipeline, I think. Uh, somewhere by the end of next year, we're going to be you know, back to where we used to be before the pandemic in terms of where the federal funds rate is going to be. So that is the one thing that we expect to happen on that front. On the inflation front, um, I think the reason the Federal Reserve hadn't pulled the trigger on doing a half percentage increase as opposed to what they did was a quarter percentage is because they've been uncertain about how to deal with some of the uh, new inflationary pressures. So some of the older inflationary pressures are still with us. Uh, some of them are showing up again. So, you know, in January, and February, and last December, there was some improvement in supply chains, in particular because China had lower caseloads at that time of COVID. Uh, but as we've seen in the past couple of weeks and month or so, various regions in China that are big manufacturing centers have started to close down again, uh, having lockdowns as a result of COVID. Uh, in those particular regions, and that affects the supply chain all the way through for a wide variety of goods and Goods being produced all around the world. So that supply chain shock has returned. Uh, It had sort of abated a little bit and has returned again. Um, So that's something, you know, we dealt with earlier last year, had improved, is now back, and we don't know uh, when that will improve, obviously China has one of two things that they could do: is a get better vaccines, or b change their, change the way they deal with COVID. Right now, they're kind of pursuing a zero COVID policy, which is uh, very difficult to achieve uh, given all the variants going around and the uh, uh, you know poor effectiveness of the vaccines that they used. Uh, and then the other side of it is you know there's been a supply chain crisis and energy prices going up as a result of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Um, The energy prices are likely to stay high for a while longer. Um, There is some prospect of a a deal with Iran and the US and the EU. So get us back to the nuclear deal that we had uh, under the Obama administration. And that should see Iranian oil back on the market, should help reduce prices. Uh, The the other thing that could help reduce prices is uh, domestic production here in the United States. That has been held back because in the last couple of years when uh, there wasn't a lot of demand for oil. A lot of domestic producers of oil got cleaned out and, and were taken over by larger Wall Street investors uh, who impose a lot more discipline in terms of producing new oil, and they're much happier now taking the higher prices and not producing oil. So. Uh, There is some negotiation between the administration and oil producers and investors to try to get more domestic oil produced. Uh, But at this point, it's not in their incentive to go ahead and produce more oil. They'd much rather take the higher prices that they've gotten uh, for the investment they made last year. So, uh, you know, short of there being a major Increase. Now, obviously, gas prices have gone up quite significantly, but showed up at being much more significant than we've seen. Uh, we don't expect to see an inflation, I'm sorry, a recession this year, in part because there's still some hangover from the stimulus that happened last year and the year before in terms of how much money is in people's households. Uh, there was an infrastructure bill passed last year as well. So there's still some more money coursing through the economy. So uh, I don't think we're expecting a recession this year. That could change, obviously, if there is another uh, major crisis that we're dealing with. We're already dealing with an energy crisis. We're already dealing with uh, you know, grain prices going up because of uh, the Russia-Ukraine crisis there. So, uh, And then you add to that what's going on in China again. So you know, we add more crises to that. Uh, you could end up in a situation where we would get closer to a recession. But as of this point, given the crises that we already have, Uh, today, which are quite a bit. uh, We don't expect a recession in this calendar year anyway. So we do expect to continue to see rate hikes from the Federal Reserve. uh, But uh, I don't think they're going to try to push us into a recession. They're going to try to manage the inflation and somewhat accept a higher rate of inflation than they're comfortable with this year going into next year.
7: That's economist Mervin Jebaraj, director of the Center for Business and Economic Research in the Sam M. Walton College of Business at the University of Arkansas. There's more of that interview with Roby Brock online at our sister website, talkbusiness.net. In other news this week, Walmart has appointed John Rainey, chief financial officer. Rainey held the same job at PayPal since 2015. Rainey will take over as CFO effective June 6th, replacing Brett Biggs, Walmart's finance chief since 2015, who announced his exit late last year. J.B. Hunt is expected to report first quarter earnings after the markets close on Monday, and analysts are predicting a big increase in revenue, maybe by as much as 25%, compared with the same period last year. And Friday is the nomination deadline for the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal's 2022 Women in Business Awards program. Now, in its eighth year, the Women in Business Award recognizes 10 of the area's top women business leaders who have shown strong records of innovation in their careers, exceptional performance in their businesses, and meaningful community involvement. Nominations may include individuals from both Northwest Arkansas and the Fort Smith metro area, And you can submit those online at nwabusinessjournal.com. I'm Paul Gatling, and that's the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report. Until next time, thanks for listening.
0: This is Ozarks at Large. Residents of northwest Arkansas place a high priority on protecting the area's water, according to a new survey conducted by the Northwest Arkansas Council. The survey about infrastructure asked more than 4,000 people about how to best use money from the bipartisan infrastructure law. The highest priority from respondents was placed on
1: protection of the region's lakes and streams. Other highlights from the results released this week include 78% of respondents saying they wanted to recycle more. And learn more about recycling. More than 60% of people asked say they are confused about just what their city recycling program does or does not accept. A big majority, 83%, say broadband should
0: be available to everybody. And nearly as many, 81%, say they can imagine owning an
1: electric car someday. And here's the sort of honest response that can create frustration for advocates of public transportation. More than three in four people taking the survey say they think the region needs or will need in the future expanded public transportation. But fewer than half of the respondents, 48%, say they see themselves as users of that public transportation.
0: And when it comes to support for a new sales tax that would provide for more buses, more hours of bus service, and more access to a large public transportation system, the answers are almost evenly divided. 49.3% 49.3% would favor such a sales
1: tax, and 507 would not support it. All the answers to the infrastructure survey can be found at nwacouncil.org. Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part,
5: by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. SONA, the Symphony of Northwest Arkansas, concludes its current main stage season Saturday, April 30th at Walton Arts Center with a celebration of human resilience performing Mahler's intensely powerful Sixth Symphony under the baton of Maestro Paul Haas. Tickets available at 443-5600 or sonamusic.org. The outrageous Parade is returning to Eureka Springs. It's the big,
0: brash, moving start to the city's May Festival of the Arts. This year's parade is Saturday, May 7th at 2 p.m. Floats and groups wanting to participate need to register before April 29th. More information can be found at EurekaSpringsChamber.com.
10: Lea Uribe, Associate Professor at the University of Arkansas Music Department, expanding our musical boundaries with Sound Perimeter. We open Sound Perimeter today with the beginning of Estudio Tongolele for Saxophone and Maracas by Mexican composer Gabriela Ortiz. This piece composed in 2012 is titled after a very famous Mexican American dancer, actress, and vedette, Yolanda Yvonne Montes Farrington, known by her stage name La Tongolele. Growing up in Colombia through the 70s and 80s, I remember my parents referring often to Tongolele whenever somebody would showcase their dancing abilities in a family gathering. Perhaps they were secretly hoping that one of us could be a successor of such famous international figure. Tongolele's dancing was revolutionary for the time. In this piece, composer Gabriela Ortiz captures the complex rhythms and the sensual movement of Cuban and Tahitian music. Let us listen to the rest of Estudio Tongolele. Tongolele Etude for saxophone and maracas by Mexican composer Gabriela Ortiz. This version by Adelphan Min performed live at the Andorra SaxFest in March of 2021. you. It was Estudio Tongolele, Tongolele Etude for saxophone and maracas by Mexican composer Gabriela Ortiz, performed by Adele Fenmin. Argentinian composer Alberto Ginastera wrote his ballet Estancia in 1943. This multi movement piece tells the story of a city boy in love with a rancher's daughter. The girl is not so interested until she sees him outdance the gauchos, also known as the Argentinian cowboys, to the complex malambo rhythms in a dance competition to win her heart. Enjoy the energy and exuberance of Malambo from Ballet Estancia by Argentinian composer Alberto Ginastera, interpreted by the Simón Bolívar Youth Orchestra of Venezuela under the batón of Gustavo Dudamel, recorded live at the 2008 Salzburg Festival. We just listened to the Simón Bolívar Youth Orchestra of Venezuela under the batón of Gustavo Dudamel performing Alberto Ginastera's Malambo from Ballet Stancia. We close today's our Inspired by Dance and Dancers sound perimeter with an excerpt from Rumba Chonta performed by the Colombian ensemble Grupo Bahía. This work highlights the African dance rhythms from the Colombian Pacific Coast and its instruments, marimba chonta and drums. I hope I got you out of your seat today with our music inspired by powerful dancers' dances and dance rhythms. Life is better when you dance. This is Lía Uribe. Associate Professor at the University of Arkansas Music Department, expanding our musical boundaries with sound perimeter.
1: This is Ozarks at Large. It has been a pretty good week on the diamond for area teams. The Arkansas softball and baseball teams and the Northwest Arkansas Naturals are a combined 6-0 so far this week in games played on their respective home fields.
0: The Razorback baseball team is in action tonight, hosting LSU at Walker Stadium for the first of three games. The Arkansas softball team is also home this weekend, starting a three-game series with Kentucky Friday night. And the Naturals continue their first homestand of the season tonight with a game
1: against Wichita. The Nats' homestand lasts through Sunday afternoon. Basketball, the 3-on-3 version, will take Center Court next month in Fort Smith. 646 Downtown will host Hoops on Garrison in partnership with First National Bank of Fort Smith and Academy Sports and Outdoors. The event, May 14th, is a fundraiser for the nonprofit 646. Teams can register through a link at Eventbrite, and the first-place team will receive a prize of $650. There are cash prizes for second and third-place teams as well. All team members must be at least 17 years of age. Sona, the Symphony of Northwest Arkansas, concludes its current
5: main stage season Saturday, April 30th at Walton Arts Center with a celebration of human resilience, performing Mahler's intensely powerful Sixth Symphony under the baton of Maestro Paul Haas. Tickets available at 443-5600
1: or sonamusic.org. This is Ozarks at Large. Here's a confession. I want to show every guest who comes to the Carver Center for Public Radio a picture of my dog, Daisy. Well, when Lori Telfair came to our studio, I had an excuse. She's a certified dog show judge. She lives in Fayetteville, but has traveled the country to participate in shows. We invited her here this week, not just to brag about Daisy, but to learn about what she does and to find out more about a couple of dog shows taking place here later this month. She
11: says she became interested in dogs at an early age. I read... Albert Payson Trahoun's uh, lay at a collie in the collie books, and in that, they are shown at dog shows. And, as luck would have it, an AKC-licensed handler built her kennel down the street from me, and so I showed up and just didn't leave.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what, what What does it take to advance from just showing up and not leaving?
11: Okay, well... Uh, first you get hooked on exi- doing a dog sport, and it used to be that was only confirmation shows or uh, obedience trials. Now they've got dock diving, and they've got agility, and they've got scent work, and all of this stuff you can do. But so it turned out that our German shepherd was not suitable for the confirmation shows, and he was heavier and bigger than either my mother or I, so we trucked out to the Memphis Obedience Club um, at the National Guard Armory, and it was about seventh grade, I guess, and uh, to train the monster, and I just never stopped. Well, I would stop briefly. I went to college. I got married. um so i didn't I haven't done it nonstop but pretty pretty much nonstop. you're doing it now I'm doing it now and you, this this takes you across the country, right yes Philadelphia Philadelphia. I just got back from Portland and Arizona a couple of weeks ago. I was judging there. i uh just got back from Kansas City, Oklahoma City, and Tulsa. The So I've basically been at dog events the last five weeks, and I'm ready for (laughs) a (laughs) rest. When you say you're judging, do you judge a specific breed? I judge all of the herding breeds, which would be your cattle dog. Right. Uh, I judge all of the hound breeds, and I judge some of the sporting breeds.
1: And I know you can't sum this up in a a simple answer, but what do you—
11: When you're a judge, what are you looking for? Okay. They've all got their written standard. And theoretically, you're judging them against the written standard. So when you get into the groups, is this cattle dog a better cattle dog than that collie? That sounds tough. Well, think ice skating. It's subjective.
1: Okay. Right. Well put. So
11: it's... Uh, some of it is just who catches your eye and stands out on that particular day. Every dog has its day,
1: <laughs> and 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 it's it's escorts. It's the dogs' handlers don't matter.
11: Uh, theoretically, gotcha. Somebody who knows how to present their dog like a million dollars is going to have a real good shot at winning because it just. It catches your eye. It, it looks better together than somebody who is uh, not as skilled.
1: And I would guess dogs that enjoy oh, yeah. doing this sort of thing are going to do better.
11: Yeah. You can't make a, sh- a dog show if they don't want to. You can spend your money and you can beat your head against a wall, but you can't make that dog be a show dog if they don't want to. And some of them love it. And you can tell? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the ones that are shown every weekend and week out, they know when they win. Really? Oh, yeah. You mean like they show pride or they... Yeah, they... Um, well, it was kind of like the great racehorse Zenyatta, and she only lost one time. And you could tell in her face and her demeanor when she didn't go to the winner's circle... She was not happy and confused. Well, dogs, they don't necessarily, I guess, know when they lose, but they know when they win. There's clapping. They run to the center of the ring, you know. uh, So, yeah, they know, and they either like it or they don't. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Now, there are dog shows coming up in Northwest Arkansas. Yes.
11: Uh, Mm -hmm. We're going to have four dog shows. Two are being uh, put on by the, I think it's the Northeast Oklahoma Kennel Club. They lost their site in Grove this year. And so uh, we said, come over here with us. And then the Northwest Arkansas Kennel Club. It's going to be next Thursday, Friday for Oklahoma and uh, Saturday, Sunday for arkansas and in addition we're having lure coursing and that's a lot of fun to watch
1: i don't even know what that means
11: okay there's a plastic bag on a pulley and the dogs chase it and they can get titles fast times there's a qualifying time and whatnot and uh any dog can do it I, i'm pretty sure any dog can do it uh, doesn't have to be a certain breed or whatnot
1: uh, ha- So, I mean, the folks who are bringing in the dogs for the Oklahoma and Arkansas shows, I mean, you don't just show up. I mean, there no, is a they, process. they've
11: entered. Um, there's um, – you have to enter two and a half weeks before. And they're – you know, the paperwork and whatnot is out on the internet for people to um, get print off or – Interim line or whatever. So, yes, there's a, we know there's about 1,500 dogs here, which is a good entry. Um, Uh, I'm sorry, how many dogs? 1,500. That's a lot. It is a lot. Oh, my. Okay. Uh, Quite a bit from over last year. I don't have the figures, but it's big. Um, There are 20 German shepherds. That's unheard of. There used to be Um, German Shepherds were shown by the hundreds, by the thousands, um, and we haven't had that in years. Um, And now I don't know where they're coming from, but I'm excited.
1: (laughs) Well, we're getting out of a, you know, lockdown and
9: things like that. Right?
11: Yeah, the dog shows, like everything else, just absolutely shut down March before last. And uh, so by June... On an experimental basis, we had gotten, I say we, the, the dog world, uh, gotten some procedures worked out where we thought we could do it safely and started back. But limited. A lot of clubs just decided not to, to try even. And uh, so it's slowly coming back. Um, it's a lot of travel involved and the high gas prices Right. Uh, will be a, a strain, but dog people are dog people <laughs> when you when you're talking about 1500 dogs how does this work i mean i'm
1: imagining some sort of large bracket like march madness or something how do you get down to the <laughs> ones that are
11: that are the winners okay they're they're all entered in their uh, various breeds and so those are shown usually early in the day and they get down to one of that breed so one german shepherd one cattle dog one whatever, uh, they go and the dogs are classified into different groups, the sporting group, the working group, uh, herding like that. Uh, so they go in. The breed winner goes in. This usually takes place, let's say, at 1 o'clock in the afternoon and on. Uh, and they go in and are judged. And then it ends up seven dogs right for best in show and now they have a reserve best in show which is a runner up um so seven dogs from 1500 dogs to seven dogs
1: you know how there's the term little league parents there are yeah, some parents right. who when they watch their children play competitive mm-hmm. sports they can be difficult the parents to handle
11: yep is there such a phenomenon in the in the dog world or
1: are all dog folks good people <laughs>
11: There is such a phenomenon. Uh, ego is involved. There's a division called junior showmanship uh, for children. And where you've got children, you've got parents. And so – but it's generally pretty civilized. Um, till you get your first big winner, then all of a sudden all of your friends <laughs> <they> <laughs> become your competitors. Right. Yeah. It is – I make it sound – well, it is a lot like uh, Best in Show, the movie. Yes. Which they are doing a sequel to.
1: I did not know this. This yes. is breaking news to me.
11: Yes. Uh, I just heard it last week. The storyline is all of those people that were showing uh, in the – it was the, the Philadelphia show. They right. called it the Mayfair, but it was the Philadelphia show. All those people that were showing gotten old, and now they judge. And so they have all been asked to judge at the national show in Ireland. Oh, my. So I'm excited to see it. They, they've just now started casting and filming, so I suppose it'll be a year or so. But
1: We won't have Fred Willard as the announcer. Right. He, right. he passed yes. last year, but yep. everybody else, I hope, will be back.
11: I think everybody that's still on this side of the earth will be there. Yep. Well, have fun next week. Thank you. And thanks for coming in. And thanks for having me. I enjoyed it.
1: Lori Telfair lives in Fayetteville, and she came to the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio this week. This is Ozarks at Large. Walton Arts Center's 10x10 Arts Series presents the
5: dance theater company Contra Tiempo's performance of Joy Us, Just Us, Saturday, April 16th. Taking on joy as the ultimate expression of resistance, this performance reclaims the narrative of people of color being voiceless, powerless, and victimized. WaltonArtsCenter.org or... 443 5600 for tickets. This is 91.3 FM, KUAF Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville,
0: and
1: Goshen. I'm Timothy Dennis. I'm Kyle Kelms. Timothy produced a show as well as today's sound perimeter. Contributors included Jacqueline Froelich, Pastor Clint Schneckloth, and Paul Gatling, and Leo Ribe. The Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report produced by Stephanie Brock. Thank you so much for listening today. Another new
0: show tomorrow at noon and 7 p.m. And don't forget, you can always ask your smart speaker to play Ozarks at Large to hear the most recent daily edition of the show. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.